What's up, everybody? Good morning. Go with God Nation. Make some noise. Wow. Now I'm just kidding. So what's up, everybody? Good morning. It's your girl, Natasha Daniels, and I'm actually uberly excited um, with this podcast today. Listen, it's been a fantastic week. Once again, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. If you did not get an opportunity to check out the live, it was mad dope. Um, I was trying to get some of the audio to be able to rip and and put it on to um, the podcast. That way you guys can listen to it. Um, but we did have some technical errors from that perspective. But if you didn't get an opportunity to watch um, Tuesday's special for Valentine's Day, please make sure you do that. I had some friends with me, um, Pastor Darrell and Ayana Robinson. And I also had a good friends, Pastor uh, Ron King and Jasmine King. So, uh, and then of course my husband, uh, Pastor Jasper T. Daniels III. So if you get an opportunity, it was super duper candid. We were very, 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 very honest. Um, And I'm thankful because that's the type of people that you need in your life, especially as you're in ministry. You need people that um, you can do ministry with, but also that you can kind of take that stuff off and just be yourself. Um, so you get that nugget for free today. <laughs> um, but listen, today's podcast is super dear to my heart um, because it's something I had to learn. A lot of things I've learned on the fly. And uh, for those who don't know, listen, I use myself as the catalyst for a lot of my podcast and really just to talk through my experiences, not from a prideful perspective, but just so I don't offend other people. Um, that comes with the territory, but that's how the Lord has allowed me to structure my podcast. And I'm grateful. Um, and I pray that I help somebody. Uh, one of the greatest compliments that we can get in this world uh, to me is that your authenticity helped me to be authentic. And I'm thankful for, for this podcast because uh, I think that that's what that's doing for a lot of us is you're hearing the stories that kind of come across here and you're like, for real, I'm not the only one. Or it's like, you know what, let me tell my truth too because it's not that bad. And listen, sin and conviction and condemnation, they're all different things. You know, sin is kind of what we are, uh, what we come into and what we're kind of shaped into once we're here. Uh, but through guiding and leading of Holy Spirit, he helps us to decipher what's right and what's wrong. But the enemy also has a counteract to conviction and it's called condemnation. And so I said all that to say a lot of us really walk around in condemnation um, thinking it's conviction. But no, the goal for God is that you realize you're wrong and you turn away from it. Right. But with condemnation, you realize that you're wrong and you feel like the weight of sin or the weight of being wrong will not allow you to do anything else. So for those who are out there and you guys are listening, and you're like, man, you know, there are a lot of things I'm going through, but I can't get out of. Listen, just pray to God that he would allow you to be to be the truth, to be a truth. Um, and I believe that as you do that, you'll get healed in the process. One of the ways that you'll get healed in the process. So I don't know why I said that this morning, but if you're listening and you're only listening to three minutes, that was for you. All right. All right. So let's get into it. So today's podcast is the pastor's wife. <laughs> and man, let me tell you, I've learned so many things in being a pastor's wife and I'm being strategic about my words um, because I'm not calling it a first lady, the pastor's wife, um, because for whatever the reason, there is a extremely negative connotation when it comes to a first lady. Um, and I've got some things, some ideas, ideology that I'd like to share because I've been a uh, conventional first lady in title uh, from the world standards. But I, I honestly believe that my role 
um, as being married to a pastor is a pastor's wife. So I want to kind of talk about that today. All right. So let's get into it. Father God, I thank you and I bless you. You are amazing. I don't know where we would be without you. I have no idea and I never want to know. But I do just want to say thank you for this moment and for this time that you allow me every week just to go and express your heart. I thank you so much and I'm humbled for it. I pray that as people listen, God, that it would not just stir up conversation, Father, but it would also allow them to view themselves and ask you for insight how to manage all these different situations that we go through, whether we're in church or whether we're out of church. So for that, Father, I just want to say thank you. I love you and I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's get into it. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about Ephesians 5, 24, and I'm going to be talking about Genesis 2, verse 18, 20 through 25. And you guys kind of already know how I do it. You know, I, I chit chat about uh, real things <laughs> that have happened in ministry in my life. Um, and then I kind of put some Bible to it, not out of context, which would be eisegesis, but in context, which would be uh, exegeting the text. So that way we all could kind of get a grasp of what happens because a lot of things are common to a lot of us. We just really don't know how to express it or where to find it or what to do with it. What, what, what actual tools, you know, could kind of help us with this. Um, so pastor's wife, that's what today's podcast is going to be about being the pastor's wife. So, uh, let me just say this pastor's wives are tired. And I know a couple of podcasts ago, if you got an opportunity uh, to listen to pastors are tired, pastors, wives are tired. <laughs> we are tired. We are exhausted. Um, and we're not tired from the perspective of ministry. We're tired from the perspective of we are trying to be all things to one man in many facets of the man's life. And we are trying to be um, a um, appropriate model while we're in church, while trying to be who God has called us to be outside of the spectrum and outside of the realm of being our husband's wives. Um, and, and we're tired. <laughs> I think that we're probably one of the most underrated positions in the body of Christ. Um, whether you consider yourself who's listening a first lady uh, or whether you understand that really, you know, you're a pastor's wife. We are very underrated. Um, but I also think that it's important that people really understand our role. What is the real role of a first lady? So as you guys know, pastoring was definitely not at the forefront of my mind let alone being a first lady. When I met Jasper, I knew that he was, that was his desire. Um, and that was his goal. Uh, and it's, it scared the bejesus out of me, to be honest with you, because I, I've, I, you know, and you guys heard from my Undiva uh, podcast, you know, there are a lot of things from a feminine perspective that I was not, um, in touch with. Uh, let me just say that. So we've been doing ministry for about 10 years. And for me, <clears throat> The culture of first lady and pastor's wives and, and a wife and all of that has changed drastically over the last 10 years. Um, I am 34, going on 35 years old. And even from the time I was a child to now, 80s, 90s, since 2000, 2010, 2015, um, a lot of things have changed drastically and radically, um, radically, excuse me. So with that being said, um, 
I've been blessed to come through many cultures of this first lady stage. The old traditional first lady that sat on the first row with a hat. Um, the traditional, you know, that's 80s, 90s. Um, and still in some churches today, that's that's their only job is to sit on the, the front row. Um, then I've, I've watched first ladies who are extremely active in women's ministry and missions. Um, not so much evangelistic. They don't really have a title. They're just the epitome of a wife and what the first lady should look like. Uh, even if she doesn't carry the right character <laughs> and possess all of those qualities. And then I'm, you know, we're starting to see an upward trend in first ladies uh, becoming co-pastors or pastoring alongside their husband. And I'm not here to dictate which way is the right way. Um, and you'll be able to understand why, you know, as we kind of go through the podcast today, that's not up to me to judge which way is the right way. <clears throat> but I do want to make sure that I cover However you view yourself, if you're a, a pastor's wife or a first lady who's listening to this, but also from a, a congregation perspective on you guys and, and how you view us. And then also from the world, there are people who listen to this podcast who are not Christian. Um, and so I kind of want to hit every vein in, in every area today. So I'm going to be talking about real instances. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about real instances. Um, and then I'm going to talk about it from a biblical perspective and what I think needs to be the focus of a pastor's wife or, or, um, of a first lady. So when we first started the ministry, one of the things that I definitely love about my husband, so my family, um, there aren't, there weren't at the time pastors, um, in my family that I could glean from or, or look up to, to be honest with you. Um, I do have a cousin, uh, on my dad's side, who's heavily involved in a ministry as far as um, pastoring um, and as far as doing ministry from a ministerial perspective, shepherding, um, obtaining theology or going to uh, theology school, a seminary. I I don't know why I said theology school, (laughs) seminary, et cetera. Um, And then just as of of recent, you know, on my mom's side, there's been um, more of an upswing in, and taking on either a pastorate role or taking on uh, active ministry role for ministerial and stuff like that. So, but initially at the time that I met Jasper, which was 15 years ago, that really wasn't popping on either side of my family. So I didn't have much to glean from. And that definitely wasn't what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was be a fortune 500 um, millionaire billionaire um, who just changed the whole corporate game and that still is a part of what I want to do uh, there are a lot of things in that capacity I haven't talked about but maybe I'll talk about it one day but anyway so my first example or my first real life up close every day in the thick of it first lady was my husband's wife uh, my husband's uh, mother shout out to Denise Daniels um, and watching her gracefully not just um, be the epitome of the first lady and the standard of what the ladies should exemplify and or look like um, in ministry, the way that she catered to uh, my my father-in-law, my late father-in-law was absolutely amazing to me. She was a wife who had the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom, um, and just catering to ministry, her husband, and her children. And that was the first time that I was able to see that because in my household, 
my mother did not get afforded that opportunity um, to do that. And then also we just didn't, you know, we weren't trying to be pastors, you know what I mean? Um, so when I saw her, I was gracefully inspired, but also dreadfully intimidated because I did not feel like I possessed those qualities to be a first lady. And I'm going somewhere with the, I'm always going somewhere with the podcast. So just bear with me. Um, but I spent a lot of time with her, a lot of time in the beginning, uh, great conversations and, and, you know, even now, um, but great conversations, just watching her. And I never realized how much she was cultivating me for the role and for her husband. Um, I never realized that. And I say that in that vein, because, um, Jasper's father, um, not too long after I came on the scene, maybe two years later, um, is when he started battling uh, with cancer. Um, he was sick, he started getting sick and it, and it went into remission, um, or we thought that he was in the clear. And then, um, a year later it had came back and, um, you know, kind of went to decline from there. And then in, um, 2011, um, he passed. So I spent time with, with Mr. Daniels. Um, but I also spent time with Jasper's mother and as Jasper and I started to build ministry, one of the things that he was extremely adamant about is I don't want you to be my mother. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with her. I think what my husband was trying to say to me at that time was you need to carve out your own lane and your own space to be first lady. Um, and it really wasn't even first lady. I was leading lady. Uh, the name that was given to me, and I'll never forget, we had this meeting as we were building PHKM, and we had a meeting with our leaders, and that is one of the things that he said is, Natasha Daniels <laughs> will not be um, the traditional first lady who just sits on the front row. It's not even in her nature, and I know that about my wife, <laughs> and I never realized that until I'm talking about it now, how much Jasper's words really have kind of shaped who I am as a pastor's wife today. Um, but we had a meeting about it and he told all the leaders that she is the leading lady. Um, and specifically what he was saying is that she's not traditional in wearing a hat, which I'm not, even though he would love that. Like, let's, <laughs> let's make that very clear. My husband would love for me to wear a hat. Um, he would love for me to dress up in, in sparkles and get one of those what are they brooches is that what it's called a brooch uh to like pin on the side and be super duper fly in that capacity um but at the same time I think my husband does understand and realize that I'm me and so forcing me into a grain of limiting me to just being eye candy would not work for me I can be eye candy I am eye candy but I am also prophetic. I am also a teacher by nature. I am also a builder apostolically. I am also um, um, praise and worship. I am also very um, um, into making sure that uh, resources are available for our. I, I'm not just a first lady who will sit there on the front row to have this look. I am working 
in ministry. My job, my role is to partner with my husband to work, whether I'm a co-pastor or not. And I just happened to see that this week, you know, where I don't know what was said on social media, but there was a commentary about um, all pastors' wives or all wives of pastors don't need to be co-pastors. And I 1000% agree with the statement. But what I also agree with is that the, the wife needs to have a role outside of just being the pastor's wife. Hear me and hear me clearly. You are not just designed to be a first lady. And I think from a traditional perspective, while I understood the role of the first lady, just like we've really grabbed that from um, presidents, um, secular, we've grabbed that term first lady from secular, even they will tell you that the president, the, the wife, any, any marriage, let me back that up. Any marriage will tell you that there are things that the wife does that will never, ever sometimes be able to be expressed because she not only does it naturally, but it's a part of her DNA to make sure that the husband is propped up at all times. Hear me and hear me clearly. I'm not talking about females or individuals who are still trying to um, be an independent woman while being married. That's not what I'm saying. What I am definitely saying is that these wives, us as wives, as pastors' wives, are more than eye candy that sit on the front row. We are more than a hat. We are more than a brooch. And I think a lot of times um, in culture and in society, we have limited the first lady to that role because we really don't know what to do with her. And I'm thankful to my husband who allowed me or who saw that Natasha Daniels is never going to be able to sit still and not do work for the Lord. And I'm not talking about sit still and be in everybody's business because those who are here at uh, of my church and even in my personal life that's not even how I get down to be honest with you I allow people to invite me into their space but I'm always looking to make things and people better so let me just come off of that for a second so I've had horror stories as a first lady not just because of myself or as a pastor's wife not just because of myself and me trying to learn the role but I've had friends who've tried to take my position <laughs> I've had family try to dictate exactly what my role is and what it should be. I've had lay members who have tried to steal my husband or who have tried to steal my position. Um, and let me say this, you can have it. You can have it because you have no idea the turmoil and the spiritual warfare that goes into being a pastor's wife. Because my role as a pastor's wife is not just for the secular of being the wife. My role is also to protect him in ministry. And I will fight like hell to protect my husband in ministry the same way I'm trying to work through as partners against the covenant attacks that come in my marriage. Somebody shout in the background, pastor's wives are tired. <laughs> this isn't just a natural eye candy role. This is a role where my life is constantly under attack. 
I have chosen to allow my life to constantly be under attack because my husband is shepherding. My husband is being a shepherd and also because of my covenant or the spiritual attacks that come with my covenant of being a wife. It's not easy being a pastor's wife for the simple fact that I don't get a break. Now, I'm not asking you to throw me a pity party. But what I am saying genuinely is that my role is so much more than being on that front row. I get it. Culture and society tells us that he is priority. And in ministry, my husband is priority. Now, hear what I'm saying distinctly when I say that I serve him in ministry as he pastors my role and my responsibility is to serve him however that does not mean that he is the only important person in ministry and so I think it's really important that as I'm talking through this that you understand that a lot of what we've done in the church is not always because of biblical backing so I'll give you an example. One time I was in church or, you know, I was having, having church and I don't think I was there that Sunday. I, I'm not sure what happened. I, I wasn't there that Sunday. And we, we were, you know, it was, it was one of the buildings that, that we were renting out at the time. And I wasn't there that Sunday and we have elders and, and ministers and, and stuff like that. And, and one of, one of the people thought that they should sit in my seat now hear me right because because this is early on in ministry one of the people thought that they should sit in my seat because uh, their partner was a minister at the time or their partner was in ministry at the time and so they thought that uh, when I'm not present they should sit in my seat because <laughs> you know they're on the same level as me and at that time, you know, I was livid. I was livid. Uh, not only because, to be honest with you, I wasn't a fan of the individual. And let me say that too. Everybody in ministry, you may or may not like, even if you have to shepherd them. But you have to be mature enough in how to handle that. Yes, on Natasha Daniels' podcast, I'm being genuine with you guys. You're not going to like every person because it's not always the person. Sometimes it's the spirit that people are carrying. You don't agree or you're not, you know, you're not in line and in tune with that spirit that people are caring, but you, as a pastor, you still have to know and learn how to handle people, even when they're not ready to let go of some of those spirits. So anyway, that, that's a whole nother topic. And so this individual sat in my seat, but it wasn't that they sat in my seat. That was the problem. It was, they thought they were me in my absence. And when I tell y'all, I had to have a conversation. <laughs> I had to have a conversation and that individual was extremely nasty to my role in ministry. Now I'm not going to sit here and say that my tone, or I'm not going to sit here and say that when I ask something to be done in ministry, I expect it to be done because I do. If I'm asking you to do something, especially after the 77th time, I really do expect that it gets done. There's no more smiles and giggles. There is a stern, this needs to get done. And that's the end of it. And so we had a conversation and long story short, that individual rattled me so much in my position as a first lady 
as a pastor's wife that for a minute in ministry, I wouldn't even accept leading lady role. I wouldn't accept the title. I wouldn't accept anything about it. I didn't want anything about it if it causes this much bucking. But as I got older and, and more people tried to dictate my role and, and, you know, I'll be savory with the conversation. Um, I realized that it's not that everybody wants to be a first lady. Some people sometimes are just trying to debunk you out of being that role of being a pastor's wife because it looks glamorous, but they really have no idea the spiritual warfare that you go through as a pastor's wife. This isn't a glamorous role. You are, I can't tell you how many times I've had to talk to people and say, that's not your husband, that's mine. I don't know how many times I've had to politely pull people to the side and let them know to take their mouth off of me and my husband. I don't know how many times I've had to cry about the fact that people were talking about us behind our back who said that they loved us, who said we were family. I had a moment in ministry where I caught wind, no lie. I caught wind that because of the, um, I'm looking for a word, the grievance that people had toward Pastor Jay and myself, there was a coup that had been kind of set up in the church around the time when he was sick. There was a coup that was set up in ministry to kind of take over um, with, with some of the leaders and with some, <laughs> when I tell, listen, listen, when I tell you that this is not glitz and glam, I don't know why people want to be pastors. I don't know why you want to be a first lady just so you can sit on the front row. The spiritual attacks on their own are not worth it at all. Uh, literally, I had inside of the church, it was imploding. And there was a coup on trying to replace Pastor Jay and I. The, 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 the pain that comes with ministry. I don't understand why people prefer popularity, glitz, and glam over understanding that you will get a thorn for ministry. So anyway, I said all that to say because I had to ask the Lord, what exactly do you want me to talk about in this podcast about pastor's wives, right? Because most people who are pastor's wives or who do stuff like this, they're going to be extremely messy about what's happened. That's not really my goal. My goal is how do I change the dynamic of the view and perspective of the real pastor's wives. And I'm saying real pastor's wives because those of us that are in the gully with our husbands, we really do have something to say. And what has happened is society has told us to lose ourselves in being a first lady. That's why I have a issue with the term first lady. I get it from a secular, you know, first lady is a term of endearment. But what's happened in the body of Christ is me being a first lady has limited my role or my my job to God. And I've limited myself to only being, only being, only being 
a statue in the church. And I refuse to let that image, I don't think it's fair to continue to let that perspective be the notion of a first lady because it's not true. So today I'm changing the dynamic and I need to change the dynamic because if you pay attention in scripture, the truth of the matter is the pastor's wife should have never and should never lose herself to assist her husband. That wasn't the job. That wasn't the role. That's not what happened. And I want to publicly thank my husband for not even realizing that 10 years ago when he put me on this journey and on this path to allow me to partner with him. Now, I did not become co-pastor. Let me say this too. I did not become co-pastor just because we started a church. I actually became co-pastor. Um, what are we in 2023? So I think 2018, 2019, I became co-pastor. Um, and my husband uh, saw fit to allow me to be co-pastor because during the time that he was sick, I was already, I had to run the church. It's no shot against him, no shade, no nothing. But I was put into that position at a very early age. I've already been operating um, as his co-pastor, as his assistant, not because I'm his wife, but because that's just, that's who I am. That's what I am. In my nature, I'm not going to let the team suffer because a man's down, a player's down. You know what I mean? So um, I'm just becoming a, a co-pastor. So this means more to me because I didn't realize that my husband was already setting me up to not only become a co-pastor, but to understand this defined role of a pastor's wife. So I want to start in Genesis 2, and I'm almost done today. Uh, Genesis 2, uh, 18, 20 through 25. And it says, um, you know, it's talking about the beginning. So if y'all don't read your Bible and you want to know like what to read, I honestly would say the first three chapters of Genesis are really the theme of a lot of the Bible. Um, it, it has so many nuggets in there that if you ever wanted to know where to start from, you could start from there. And I always tell people that because it's important that you start from where something originated, not what it's become today. What it's become today is always a byproduct of manipulation from the origin. All right. So I wanted to talk there first, because if you go to Genesis two, verse 18, it says that, you know, it talks about how God had said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper suitable for him. Now, I've never paid attention to the text in this context, but if you read chapter two, verse one is the creation. Right. He, he's saying everything he created. Then if you really read chapter two of Genesis, it's talking about the manifestation of what was created. OK, so in chapter one, it's giving you a timeline of the seed form of what is created. Then in chapter two, it's telling you the manifestation of the seed. Pay attention. If, if you haven't read your Bible, even in Genesis two, it explains that water never came from the ground first. I mean, never, it never came from the sky first. It came from the ground. Everything was watered from the ground. But that's a whole nother topic, whole nother sermon, whole nother day. OK, so in here. When God is talking, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a suitable helper. It's because Adam was getting ready to realize that there wasn't anybody suitable for him. So before this, God is watering everything, putting it into seed form. And then he puts the man in the garden and then he starts to form 
the animals from the ground. All right. You got to, the Bible is amazing. Okay. Then he starts forming things from the ground. And as he forms things from the ground, he then brings it to Adam and tells Adam to start naming it. And so what's happening here is he realizes God, I mean, who, who knows everything, but he makes it a part to say, Adam is getting ready to realize that there's not something suitable for him, for his purpose. As he gives all the animals, as he gives the birds and every beast um, um, names, as he's getting ready to give it purpose, as God brings them to him and he gives them purpose, Adam's going to realize, hey, I don't have something that fits my needs. I don't have something that fits my purpose. I don't have something that fits me. But what Adam doesn't know is God ought to, God had already created seed form of woman in chapter one. <laughs> so I'm, got, I'm about to help y'all as far as a pastor's wife is concerned, okay? Because God is trying to save a lot of these first ladies who have lost their identity in sitting on that front row, all right? So God says, hey, and, and the Lord God is talking to all of himself, Jesus. He's talking to all of himself and he says, yo, y'all, it's not good that man's alone. I'm going to make him a suitable helper, but not yet. <laughs> Jesus. I get so excited about God's word because his timing is absolutely amazing. So then if you go down to verse 20, it says that, you know, the man starts giving names to everything, the cattle, the birds, the beast of the field, all that good stuff. And then here it goes in verse 20 and it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable. <laughs> God said it. Adam realized it. Y'all pay. Oh, okay. 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 I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on. So then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall over to fall upon the man and he slept. All right. That's what it says. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God then fashioned the woman into the rib or the Lord God fashioned into a woman, the rib, which had been taken from the man and brought her to the man. Okay. So I know we've read this a gazillion times and I hope that you paid attention this time. Now that I've put it in a completely different context, the wife is designed suitable Adam's needs. Okay. The Lord God realized it and waited for Adam to realize it. Then the Bible says that the Lord caused him to go to sleep. Okay. In order to provide the helper, Adam went through a moment where he doesn't realize that something's missing. Okay. I know for some of you, y'all are probably thinking like, what is she talking about? Adam knew something was missing, but Adam didn't know that a part of him was going to be missing in order to make him complete, in order to make him whole. The idea that I don't have somebody to partner with me to do my assignment is at the forefront of his mind. And now it's manifested by pulling out the rib. Okay, let me say it in a, a, a better way for you. I can't see that I need help, but I know I need help. <laughs> I don't know exactly when I'm going to need this help and where I'm going to need this help, 
But I know that based on what I just did for the animals, I can't do that for myself. So God puts him to sleep and pulls a piece of him out, a piece of the rib out, not realizing that the piece of the rib that is pulled out is symbolic of the support that he was going to need. All right, let me say it like this. Adam realizes I need help. God says, I got you. And he pulls out the part of the man that represents support and structure. The rib is not just, and there are people who who have different theology, but technically the rib is a part of the structure that keeps the body balanced. You start pulling out somebody's rib, the rest of the cavity or inside is going to start falling apart. The ribs not only protect the heart, but it also helps to keep the body upright so that it has the support and the beams and the pillar that it needs to keep the body balanced. Okay. So then all of a sudden the Lord God fashioned the woman right from the rib. Here's the part I'm trying to get you to understand us to understand, because it's going to help you when I, when I go to Ephesians. Okay. Then he did the same thing with the woman that he had done with the animals. Jesus. Cause I'm about to prove my point, right? In the beginning, he was taking the animals. God brought, God made the animals, brought the animals to Adam. He named them. Adam realized, Hey, I don't have somebody suitable for what I need to do while I'm here in the garden. So God says, you're absolutely right. Puts him to sleep, pulls a piece of him out. He, the piece he pulls out, pay attention. He brings the piece to Adam. He doesn't just bring the woman to Adam. (laughs) The Bible says the Lord fashioned it into a woman. Then he brought the rib or he brought the woman to Adam. And then he said, Adam, what you going to do with it? Notice Adam's language is this is now bone of my bones. I've never paid attention to this ever and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. How did he know if he was asleep? There is absolutely no context that says that he had a conversation with God about what he needed. The Bible only says that the Lord caused him to fall asleep when Adam saw or when Adam realized when Adam did not see a suitable helper while he was working. While he was working, God pulled rib out made a woman and said, Adam, what is this? And Adam said, ah, this is bone of my bone. Ah, you fit what I'm missing. In other words, there was something. That's why the Bible says he's that he that findeth a wife finds a good thing because man understands that there's something missing and I'm looking for a suitable partner to fit the bill on what I need to do with my life. Men, real men will tell you, yes, it is wonderful to have somebody that you can mess around with and play with in life. This is real talk, but there's nothing more fulfilling to a man than to find the missing piece of himself in a partner in life. You see it right here in the text. The Bible does not say that the Lord God fashioned the woman, brought him to Adam and say, hey, Adam, here is your woman. What he said is he bought, he 
God did everything, brought it to Adam, who was already in the habit of giving things purpose and making sure that it functioned properly. He said, here. And Adam said, ha, 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 this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, I know that there's something missing in me. I knew it before you pulled it out. I knew there was something missing before you pulled it out, but I couldn't identify what I needed. But I knew I needed a suitable helper to help me in this next phase of life. And so God said, I know that too. I've been knew it before you knew it. Let me go ahead and pull out what you need. Bone of my bone. Let me pull this out for you. What is this? He says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman. Then after that, he made the declaration because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined. In other words, the things that a man or the man was trying to create, I now have new vision now that I have this piece of me that was missing. I knew something was missing, but I didn't know how to give it purpose. I didn't know what the purpose of it was. But now that it's been brought to my attention, what it is, where it is, now I can start giving it meaning so that the two of us can cultivate. Okay, what does that have to do with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24? I'm glad you asked because this too is one of the most underrated scriptures on the planet that people jack up all the time because they use it for their own personal gain. 22, wives, be subject to your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me make this clear to you. This statement is no different than Genesis. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Have you ever actually looked up what the word subject means in this context? Because when you look up what the word means subject, in this context, actually what it is saying is pertaining to oneself, be suitable to what belongs to you. Okay, how, how let, let, me, let me say it to you this way. What the Bible is really saying, it's saying in this context, wives, be suitable for your spouse. Be suitable to his needs. Be suitable to, to your own spouse. So now let's read it in context by instead of saying the word submissive, right? Because that offends people for whatever the reason. I don't know why. But let's read it now. Verse 22. Wives, be suitable to your own husbands as to the Lord. Be subject to your own husbands. Be submissive to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, meaning Christ, being the savior of the body, but as the church, is subject suitable for Christ. So also the wives ought to be for their husbands in everything. I know I spent about five minutes. Did I lose you? I pray that I didn't lose you. In other words, I am not just a wife. I am the perfect match for you. Jesus. So if I'm the perfect match for you, then let me go ahead and read verse 25. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he, meaning Christ, might present his own self, the church, in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. 
but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. What am I trying to say to you? It's very, very simple. For whatever the reason, culture, society, the church has limited the first lady to only being one aspect and one vein. And what has happened is first ladies have absolutely no idea what to do with themselves. They have lost themselves in the husband rather than being a suitable partner for the husband's purpose. And the husband, oh Jesus, the husband loving his wife enough that he covers all of her imperfections, sanctifies her, and restores her to the proper place where God is pleased with her. He presents her to the Lord suitable. Oh, this word suitable has got to get into your spirit today. What God is asking for, what I believe is missing, is that everybody wants to be an image, but nobody wants to be suitable. Everybody wants to wear the brooch and look the part, but nobody wants to be the part. I'm admonishing on today that for the pastor's wives, for the first ladies that felt like they didn't have a voice and that they didn't have a place, that you would understand wives and pastors, husbands and wives, that the two roles are not going to be separate. As a wife, my responsibility is to be suitable for your personal needs. And in the pastorate, as a pastor's wife, my responsibility is to make sure that I cover you and that I am suitable to your assignment. But here's the caveat. I can't be suitable for you if you don't help me find me. That's really what this is about today. I can't be everything that I need to be for you if you can't help me find who I'm supposed to be. This was never, ever supposed to be a, this is the pastor's role. You sit there on the front row and I'll let you know when I want to tag you in. No, 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 no. This was always supposed to be that you realize that you need me just as much as I need you. And my role and my responsibility, I take it very seriously. I not only cover you in prayer, but I make sure to ward off every wolf that tries to come into your pastorate or into your eyes. But not not only that, I'm able to see the missing part of you. There is a limp that comes with understanding and realizing that two people have got to become one. Adam becomes the vision or the eyesight for Eve and Eve becomes the pillar or the, the one that keeps Adam standing. If you pay attention to Adam saw vision, she was produced. Eve came out of the rib. And she became what was suitable for him, the structure and the standard that he needs because Adam now has a limp about him. Adam is now missing a piece of him that he will only find in a wife. I can't hear you. And the wife understands that the best vision of her is when she is linked up to the right spouse, when she is linked up to the right helper. And then she can be the proper help me. This was never, ever intended for you just to sit on the front row and put the handkerchief on your leg. 
And yes, a lot of us pastor wives are tired, not because our husbands did something wrong to us, but because for whatever the reason, the world can't see that my role is more than just to make him look good. Pastors wives take their role very seriously. And we take our role very, very seriously because I am the best for him. I don't care what you say and what you think about me and or my husband, Jasper T. Daniels III. I am the best mate for him. He is the best, most suitable mate for me. And because of that, I will fight like hell to make sure that he and I both are everything that God wants us to be. And he too will make sure that I arrive at everything God wants me to be. It's a partnership, honey. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. I'm not meant to do this alone. I'm not meant to do this by myself. I was never called to do this alone. And I was never called to do this by myself. Before I started doing this podcast, I asked the Lord for days, what exactly do you want me to say? Because I can go into stories and I can go into scripture. What is the premise? What is the meat of what it is that you want me to say about this? And it's very simple. God is asking all of the pastors and the pastor's wives to find the balance again. Because they're not just pastors, men or female. And we're not just pastors' wives where we just sit on the front row. We are a lethal attack that works tirelessly day and night to make sure that God's agenda is being pushed in the marriage and that God's agenda is being pushed in ministry. And for those first ladies that voices have been quiet for so long, I am so sorry. For those that feel like you're only responsibility is to sit up underneath your husband I am so sorry hear me clearly in what I'm saying don't pull this out of context I am not saying that you are not supposed to submit to your husbands because I do that even here at my church I don't do anything without asking Pastor Jay but what I am saying is I cannot will not should not be linked with my husband and be stifled to the things that God desires for both of us to do just because he's the pastor. My husband does a wonderful job of being able to see, Tosh, I need you. I'm not strong in this area. Can you help me with this one? Or Tosh, I am strong in this area and I see you're weak in that one. Let me lift you up in this one. Because that's what it means to sanctify her, to make her blameless in front of the Lord. I build not just the strength of you, but the weakness of you as well. It's a partnership. And we do that for the sake of the Lord in marriage and outside of marriage. So I brought up Genesis 2 and I brought up 25 because the truth of the matter is the ministry role of pastoring means that there's another layer to this. But as long as I'm connected to my husband, we both have a role and a responsibility to not just do ministry well in the church, but to do ministry well outside of the church by seeing each other, loving each other and building each other up. Not allowing roles and societal roles and cultural roles to deter us or put us in a place where, hey, you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing anymore. That's not the will of the Lord for our lives. And I'm so grateful. 
I am so grateful that today at this moment, on February 17th, we are able to talk about the fact, hey, all you pastor's wives out there, keep doing the darn thing. Keep being the support. Keep being the virtuous woman. Keep being the rock. Keep being the prayer warrior. But also thank you for continuing to pursue God. To continue to change the face that this is a partnership, not a dictatorship. That we work hand in hand in order to bring the agenda of God. It's not just my responsibility to make sure that I'm suited and handling my husband based on his needs. But it's also his role and responsibility in pastoring and as a husband and as a wife to make sure that at all times I am covered. As I cover you, you cover me. As I'm watching over you, watching over me. As I'm praying for you, you're praying over me. As I'm, I'm partnering with you in ministry and pushing you in the agenda of God, you do the same for me. So for all those who are out there and you're trying to figure out what exactly is a, do we do? What exactly are we doing? Yeah, we're tired as pastor's wives and we're, we're tired. But let me tell you, we are thankful that God has blessed us with the opportunity to make a difference first and foremost in our husband's lives and then secondly in the churches that we're able to cultivate I know that this podcast for some of you guys was "Mm, you know Tosh you know I'm not I'm not sure if this is for me but let me tell you something you have no idea where God's going to take you I didn't know where God was going to take me in my journey and in my walk and in my life but I'm so grateful for everything that I've learned in being a pastor's wife. The truth of the matter is they're not separate. They're layers of how to be as fluid and how to be as consecrated to the Lord and how to be as dedicated to my husband and how to be as dedicated to God. They're, these are layers. I'm sure that in six months and a year, there's going to be another layer that God adds to our marriage, to our life. And he's going to do the same thing for you. And so I hope that today that that you're encouraged and empowered to the fact of, you know what? I don't feel so alone anymore. There are so many ideas and things that I want to do, but I never, I don't know my role and I don't have a place and I don't have this and I don't, you do have a place and you do have a role. You can be just as fine as you want to be sitting on that front row with a hat, a brooch and a napkin. But you can also be as fierce, as suitable to your husband, to as suitable to ministry, as suitable to the partnership of the Lord as the Lord desires you to be. Never feel like you're limited to just that front row into that pew. So, Father God, we thank you and we honor you. I pray that this blesses somebody, even if it's just one person, that I'm more than the pew. I'm more than sitting on the pew. I'm not trying to supersede my husband. I'm not even trying to take his position. But what I do know is that as long as we're working together, my goal, my assignment in this life is that when we yoke up together, it's for a singular purpose. And I will work tirelessly for the vision that God has assigned to this rib. I say thank you. Thank you for the humility that we take as women 
Thank you for the, the, the submission that we take as women, but also God, thank you for the power that we possess to be submissive, to be patient, loving, kind, until we find those moments and those spaces that you allow us to partner, to cultivate, to encourage, to nurture. Thank you, Father, that I don't have to just stay in the pew. Thank you that we link up with husbands that realize that I am more than eye candy. But I am somebody who's accountable to not just my husband, to my ministry, but to you, God, to be everything that you desire me to be. I thank you for the freedom and the ability, God, to love, to be free, to worship, to do what it is that you have for me to do, for you have for all of us to do. For that, God, I say thank you. I adore you and I bless you. Continue to to be our, our barometer. Continue to be our guide. Continue to be our safe space, Father, as all of us continue to journey to get back to what you desire. Because in all things, we've got to go with what you desire for us. So for that, Father, we say thank you. We adore you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, I hope that you guys have enjoyed. As always, if you can, please like, comment, share. Send me some questions. You guys are giving me a lot of feedback. Um, Send me some questions. Send me some ideas. Talk to me. Uh, GWG um, podcast at yahoo.com. If you want to send me an email, um, the website is almost finished. Uh, so you guys will be able to do some submissions uh, through there. A lot of great things on the horizon. But uh, just remember in all things, please, 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 please have an opinion. But before you make a decision, please make sure that you go with God. All right. I love y'all. Later. <laughs>